2: Rod Serling, you're listening to the Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Kim Platt's Gymkhana Foul Play The Princess Stakes Murder. Starring Howard Duff, Julie Adams, and Ray Danton. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour.
3: Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour.
2: Sponsored in part by Chevrolet and State Farm Insurance. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. It all began as a day at the races... Labor Day, Delmar, the Princess stakes, but for Max Roper, private detective, the race is far from over. His friend jockey Willie Rich never got out of the starting gate. Bonnie Burns, a comely receptionist, died at the clubhouse turn. Down the back stretch, health spa operator George Glendon got a knife in the back. Bunko artist Wesley Dorn never made the far turn. Now they're coming down the home stretch. Four people have been scratched so far. Still in the race are the jockey's widow, an underworld hitman, a metaphysical charlatan, his chauffeur, six airline passengers, a mystery man from Acapulco, a former movie star, one of her four ex-husbands, her current gun-toting spouse, and his missing daughter, a phantom entry. At this point, Max Roper can only be certain of one thing, it's going to be a photo finish. The Princess Stake's murder concludes after this word. Uh, lovely. Oh, lovely
1: dress. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Good old Harry. What a host. When Harry throws a party, nobody goes thirsty. Here, let me freshen up that drink. Good old Harry is such a great host. How come Bill and Jean had such a terrible fight? I want to go home right now. Why not? It's a great I don't
0: care. such a I want to go home right
1: now. How come Bob had a little trouble driving home? And how come everybody who felt so good last night feels so bad this morning. Maybe good old Harry is not such a great host after all. Maybe good old Harry is a pusher, a neighborhood pusher. Harry pushes alcohol. So if you serve alcohol, please don't be a pusher. And if you're a guest, don't let good old Harry or anyone else push you into drinking more than you want. A public service message from this station and the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism.
3: Dorn's houseboat had been carefully picked apart. Desk drawers were slightly open and things had been tossed about in the closets. Someone had been hastily looking for something. Either Dorn had or his killer. I eliminated Louis Charnock, the chauffeur, J.J., and myself, as suspects, leaving the rest of the world to consider. I was annoyed at George Glyndon for dying too soon. He would have made a very plausible killer. I rode back to the pier and got in my car. It was nearly midnight when I reached Allie Regal's house. Allie's car was gone, and that wasn't all. When I opened the front door, I saw that Hunter wasn't on the couch. Allie Regal was on the floor, flat on his face, horizontally contemplating the rug. I turned him over. Oh, Allie. Did did you get him? Get who? A man you laid off here, Hunter.
4: I leaned over to check how he was, and he was ready and decked
3: me. What what time is it? 12.05. Boy, you must have just passed him. If I did, I didn't recognize him. He was wearing your car. Moonbeams etched their ghostly fingers through the foggy night as I eased into the humpback drive in Escondido. The stately white ranch of Willie Rich was dark and quiet. It was late, but I hoped Penny Rich was out swinging somewhere, according to her custom. The side terrace door was susceptible to a little applied effort, and I went inside carefully. The curtain fell in place behind me. I put my thin pencil torch to work and found my way through the living room to Willie's den and study. The desk dominated the room. French empire, massive. It drew me like a magnet. I searched, wondering what I was looking for. The lock of the center drawer had been forced. It contained old racing programs, a pair of binoculars, and a small key that fitted the lock to the drawer. I pulled out the drawer and studied. It It was shallow. I set it on the desk, stooped, and searched the center with my torch. Couldn't find anything and compounded that by losing my balance. As I teetered forward, my hand struck the wood. The wood yielded, then sprang back. I tugged gently, and out it came. Another drawer. Secret compartment right out of Napoleon's day. But I exulted too soon. There wasn't a thing in it. I turned it over and found an old auction sticker pasted on the bottom. I peeled it off and pocketed it, set the drawers back in place, and straightened up. I went back out the terrace door. As the night air hit me, I felt the thin edge of cold steel against my throat. There wasn't a thing I knew in karate to counter that feeling. I didn't recognize the blade, but I knew the voice of Johnny Cascio. Working overtime, pal.
2: Let's march it around to the other side of the swimming pool. I want a good look at you.
3: Remembering Cascio's reputation of the night, I elected to cooperate. It was awkward, walking with his bent arm, circling my throat, but it beat a slit jugular. Penny Rich was waiting, looking blousily lovely and stoned.
0: Well, wise guy, what's your excuse for breaking in? It's still my house, you know. What are you doing here?
3: Answer the lady, pal. (laughs) Willie was murdered. I'm looking for his killer. You expect to find him hiding inside the house, maybe? Well, I heard the house had been broken into a couple of times since. I figured whoever killed Willie was still looking for something Willie had. I thought maybe I could find it.
0: Find what?
3: I don't know. Try My harder, pal. Someone pulled into the driveway. Johnny Cascio tense, turning his head. I twisted away, striking sharply upward and outward with a four-fist upper block. <coughs> collapsed at my feet.
0: Look what you've done to poor Johnny. Get out of here. Oh, Johnny, you speak to me.
3: I was just leaving. Uh, Oh, uh, Mrs. Rich, you might give Mr. Cascio his knife back. I know how much you like to swim. I left the unlikely couple and headed for my car. Oddly, mine was the only one in the driveway. I wondered how they'd gotten there and also what happened to the other car I'd heard pull in. I got in the car and ran my hand over my throat. That had been one close shave. And I couldn't help but notice the cold barrel of a 32 caliber pistol sticking in my ear. I recognized the man in the back seat through the rearview mirror. I'll take what you found in there. Glad you could make it, Mr. Hunter. I've been looking all over for you. I want
1: them to know that I'm their family insurance man. I want them to know that I can take care of any
2: insurance need that they have. Agent Bud Enorio of Tucson, Arizona, talks about saving on car
3: insurance with State Farm
2: Mutual.
1: And I want them to know that that hopefully I would be available for them to call me and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying a 1970 automobile, can you give me an idea what's going to cost me? And at that time I can say to this young man, yeah, it's going to cost you X number of dollars, but..." you know that's a high performance automobile and you're paying a high premium to start with because you're under 25 and single and so on Uh, why don't you think about something that's not high performance i'm not only giving him maybe confidence in me or instilling more confidence in him but i'm maybe going to save this guy a buck and he knows that i'm not just after his dollars i'm actually there to, to try to help like a good neighbor
3: Turn to our story in a
1: moment. Your American Cancer Society presents Peter Falk and Lee Grant as the Doctor and Mrs. Brinley. Mrs.
4: Brinley, you look terrific. How have you been? Oh,
0: healthiness-wise, doctor, I get your standard semi-annual common cold. Other than that, I've been feeling in the orange. Not in the pink? I never felt good in pink.
4: I prefer orange. Mm. You're here for your regular annual checkup, which you last had five years ago?
0: How long.
4: Mm. Why did you finally decide to get one?
0: Tom saw an American Cancer Society thing that said the only way to be sure you're in perfect health is with an annual head-to-toe checkup. He insisted I get one, so I figured I'd get one that I couldn't. Ins- it's just he get one?
4: Very clever. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been in for ages.
0: Exactly. Now where do you want to start? My head or my toe?
4: With all of you, get on the scale. Uh,
0: my weight's fine.
4: I'll decide then. on the scale, Mrs. Bringley. Uh. <sighs> help your doctor
1: help you with an annual checkup. Help your American Cancer Society with a generous check. We want to wipe out cancer in your lifetime. <laughs>
3: Got in beside me. We drove west over the black tar curbing road and pulled up at the junction to Delmar. I explained to him my search of Willie's den, my stupidity in not knowing what I'd been looking for, and incidentally reminded him that I was the guy who got him out of the spa. I remember. That's why you're still living. What brought you to the spa, anyway? <laughs> I played the record again, starting with Willie winning the Princess Stakes at Del Mar and ending up with Doran's murder, then asked Hunter about his business at the Gilded Cuckoo Spa. I didn't figure he was there for a massage. Well, my name is Hunter, and
4: you seem familiar with Monica Clayton's background. When she was Monica Moore, the movie star, she married Johnny Hunter. He was my brother. Now, that's 20 years ago, ancient history, until Willie contacted me in Acapulco recently and brought me up here. How did you know, Willie? Well, he knew Johnny from way back. In fact, he introduced Johnny to Monica. And Johnny died soon after they got married. We got the coroner's report, overdose of barbiturates. And we were broken up about it, but these things happen. A month ago, I got a letter from Willie. He said he had proof that Johnny had been murdered. It wasn't suicide or accidental. There were two people he named who could be responsible. Wesley Dorn
3: and Monica Moore. Well, that is uh, Clayton. What kind of proof did Willie say he had? I know Monica's been paying blackmail up until tonight. She's free now that Dorn's
4: dead. I don't know how he found it, but somehow Willie found my brother Johnny's diary. There's supposed to be something incriminating in it. That why you were trying to contact the Claytons to put the
3: finger on Monica? Well, I had another reason. Another brother. Ty Clayton. Clayton? But uh, your name is Hunter. Well, we were all Claytons.
4: Ty, myself, and little Johnny, born in Melfort, Saskatchewan, Canada. Our mother married Avery Clayton, a lumberman, and he died when we were kids. And our mother married, a few years later, Jacob Hunter. When Johnny was seven then, I was ten, and Ty, the oldest, kept our father's name. Yeah, now
3: I see what Clayton meant when he told me he'd always been a hunter. But why weren't you welcome at your own brother's house when you tried to contact Pam? Well, Pam was the only one I thought I could trust...
4: You see, neither Ty nor I took complete stock of that coroner's report. We both thought Monica had something to do with Johnny's death and made a pact to find out. I got in some trouble and headed for Mexico. Ty gave me his word that he'd stay with it looking for evidence against Monica. Well, next thing I know, his wife Audrey dies and he marries Monica. That was a year ago. He still hasn't made a move against her
3: sat there a minute smoking. Then my hand found the 38 I keep back in my seat. Hunter never saw it coming and I laid it on him behind the ear. He probably had a good case against Monica, but I like to make up my own mind. It wasn't far to Allie Regal's house. I stashed Hunter there again, admonishing Allie to hang on to him this time and took off. Under a full moon, Delmar seemed eerily quiet. I found Joey Zale in the stall and shook him awake. Hey. Joey, listen. What happened to Willie's gear after the weigh-in?
0: He took it to the jock's room.
3: Is it still there? I I want the saddle.
0: Come on, Roper. I can get tagged 50 for it.
3: Here's 100. (laughs) Joey found the saddle for me. My hand, deep inside the weight pocket, contacted a red leather bound book, Johnny Hunter's Diary. But the light was insufficient to read. I struck a match.
0: (laughs) Hey, pull that out! Just a she got trapped in a barn one time in a terrible fire. That's better. What'd you find? A book in the saddle?
3: Not just a book, Joey. Answers. As diaries went, it was no literary achievement, but it traced a straight line that had led to murder. August 27, stomach hurts. August 31, stomach hurting a lot lately. Burning. Can't keep food down. September 4, pain worse, vomiting. Got to take some of Monica's pills if I'm ever to sleep. Pain's terrible. Think I know why. The last entry, September 5th. September 6th, Johnny Hunter was dead. The clerk at the coroner's office took my $2 and dug up the certificate of death. Overdose of drugs, alcohol content, .09. The document was signed by the examining physician, Luther Stokes, M.D., I attempted to reach Dr. Stokes. He'd been dead for 15 years, hit-and-run accident. I went over to see my friend at homicide, Camino. Told him what I was up to. He looked through the diary, dropped it finally. Don't have the last page of it? Not yet. Johnny Hunter was buried at Holly Memorial Park. Dr. Stokes was killed almost immediately afterwards. Maybe it wasn't an accident. expecting a find. Arsenic? That went out of style a long time ago. Maybe the killer didn't know it at the time. I suppose we find something. You
2: know as well as I do, arsenic leaves traces. Bones, hair, fingers, toenails. But you still have to prove your suspect had possession, administer it, and be able to state where and when. Yeah, you know as well as I do that you can't. And you can't produce this diary's evidence either. Hunter died and can't confirm it. Uh, Get out of here. Let me feel sorry for myself. I got a hell of a toothache.
3: I went over it all again in my mind everything seemed to hinge on Willie's discovery of the diary I knew only a small part of the waves he had made only the killer would know how totally engulfing they might be I thought it was about time I went for the killer Price is what you pay, value is what you get.
1: And Chevrolet wants to make sure that when you purchase a new truck, you get value for every dollar you spend. So we build in value throughout the truck. Like the strength of two walls of steel in our fleet side pickup box, roof, hood, and front fenders. A massive girder beam independent front suspension. And a brake system that's computer matched to truck size and capacity. That's Chevy value. It helps to account for the fact that year in and year out, there are more Chevy trucks in use than any other make. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. And with a Chevy truck, you get lasting value. It's Chevy truck with lasting value. We build them top to do the job, cause
4: that's the Chevy way. It's Chevy truck.
3: It's Chevy truck.
1: The zero hour continues after this. Here's a tip from your Better Business Bureau. If you have school aged children, it won't be long until they'll be bringing home an order blank for the class or school annual picture. And if you've noticed, you normally pay in advance. The little tyke insisting that he or she must have the money for the teacher the next day. But do you really know what you're getting for the money? Better read the fine print that form you sign may commit you to buy several color blow-ups at many times more than what you actually gave Johnny to take to school. Unfortunately, some photographers take advantage of this annual ritual to trap proud mothers into spending a lot more than they intend to. If you don't know what you're getting, call the school and ask them who to contact. If they don't know, then write a note to the teacher explaining that you insist on knowing what you're buying before you sign a contract, and that's the way to teach your children. Remember, if you want portraits made, consider also the services of a
3: good professional photographer in town. They were running the Delmar Futurity. The Claytons were at the track. Calamity had just come in a winner, paid 420. I watched Tyler Clayton go down to the winner's circle. Then I touched Monica Clayton's elbow.
2: Mr. Rilpin!
3: Why didn't you tell me Willie Rich introduced you and your first husband? Uh, Johnny Hunter, wasn't
0: he? How did you know
3: that? I also saw your first husband's death certificate today. Accidental death, it said. Would you be in accord with that? Frankly, I'm not. I prefer the evidence in the diary. Diary? Your husband owned a Napoleonic desk. I can just see him keeping a diary under lock and key in the secret compartment. And he dies, and you sell his furniture. It ends up in storage, and one day, Willie Rich acquires it out of sentiment for his old friend, probably. That desk sits in Willie's study for years, until one day, he accidentally opens a secret compartment, as I did tonight, and he finds the diary.
0: I don't believe any of this.
3: Well, check with the La Cienega auction house. And Mr. Sonnenberg there keeps records. I found an old auction sticker on the bottom of the drawer. He filled in the rest. Incidentally, the diary's very interesting reading, Mrs. Clayton. Could be a bestseller. I left her staring helplessly and walked away. My hands were wet and clammy. It was dusk when I pulled up to the cottage at the far end fronting the bay. Charnock's big black car wasn't around, nor the blonde bodyguard, J.J. I had called before, so Charnock was expecting me. Come in, Mr. Roper. You look tired. Yeah, it's been a rough week. I've just made some tea. Here, let me pour you some. I'm very upset about your suspicions of Monica. She's simply not the type. Anybody can be a killer, but I didn't say she was. I said she was responsible for her first husband's death. I didn't say she did it. Let's talk about your friend Dorn. I see what you mean. You're referring now to the hold he had on Monica. She could have driven her husband to suicide or even killed him. It's all my fault. It was only because of my weakness that Dawn could continue to exist. Uh, don't blame yourself. But Monica was innocently involved twenty years ago. She's up to her ears now. Yes, your friend, the poor unfortunate jockey. The whole thing is harrowing. It's preposterous to think of Monica as part of it. Not Monica. Her husband, Tyler Clayton. Clayton, the millionaire oil man. You think he committed the murders? Well, listen and see what you think. I recited the whole story again. The thing I hit hardest was that I figured Clayton had married Monica to try to get even with her for the murder of his brother Johnny, but then he'd fallen in love with her, and now was protecting her from the damaging evidence Willie had found in Johnny's diary. I see. Yes. Terrible for Clayton. He'll have to pay for his crimes. Maybe not. For one thing, he still hasn't found the diary. Well, his brother would have had it, I suppose. Perhaps your friend Rich gave it to him for safekeeping. No, he's looking for it, too. And then perhaps Clayton's daughter. No, she doesn't know where it is. But I do. I see. You're astonishing, Mr. Roper, putting this ghastly series of crimes all together, but one part of your logic eludes me. Mm. I can see why Clayton would have murdered all these people, but certainly he had no reason years back to kill his youngest brother. No reason at all. And logically, you must admit he couldn't have. That's right. He couldn't have for the most logical reason of all. You did. My dear man, do I hear correctly? You killed them all, starting with Johnny Hunter. That would be hard to prove that Dawn did. That's part of the proof. What would it take to convince you? Some luggage on the way back from Tahoe. You spent a week there, remember? What are you talking about? We met on the plane coming back. You just killed Bonnie Burns. I just found her body. There are only seven passengers on board. You were the dental surgeon coming down with cancer. You had me convinced, too. You've been an actor. You know all the makeup tricks. The best disguise is always the simplest. Eyeshadow, hollows for the cheeks, easy with the removal of partial dentures, gray wigs, smoky glasses. Your performance was flawless till we got off the plane. Even a man coming home to die carries his clothing back with him. But you didn't pick up any luggage. You headed right for a taxi. I didn't see the gun in his hand until it was too late. Then the big bruiser J.J. was there. And something no heavier than a cannon dropped on my head. As I folded to hit the carpet, I noticed my empty hands, lax and useless. Cold steel tapped me on the nose. On your feet and walk slow. Open your mouth and you're dead. You're going to take us to the diary. Oh, Willie hit it. Good, I'm the only one... I'd left Delmar a loser many times. It was a shame to be coming back that way. If Allie Regal had any security men checking his joint, you'd never have known it. J.J., Charnick, and I moved in and out, avoiding the lighted stables where men were working. Once we held back in the darkness while someone passed. The gun in my back, J.J.'s massive paw over my mouth. I'll tell you something. You were right all along. I killed Johnny Hunter, but I did it with imagination. Mentally. I'm a mentalist, you understand. What better way is there for murder? I offered Monica my love that she spurned me, so I drove hunted to feelings of persecution and suicide. You were way off on the towel flight, though. I wasn't the dental surgeon. Oh? I was the lady up front with the knitting needles. I'd worn a blonde wig up. Perhaps she found it in Bonnie's cabin and a black wig back. Now, shall we proceed to the diary? Uh, In that stall, William left it in his saddle. Uh, There in the corner on the floor... Well, I don't see anything It's so dark. Got a match? (laughs) Tronic nervously dropped the match, lit another. He stepped forward, a restless moving shadow inside, reared high above us. J.J. and Tronic looked up, startled, as the black shape struck savagely at the rail. The thin board splintered, fell away. Sister Sally burst through with a dark avenging fury. She struck at Tronic, hooves flailing. J.J., in terror of the massive horse tried to back away. I chopped the gun out of his hand and kicked him in the groin. He fell forward. I drove my knee through his teeth. He lay there.
0: Hey, what's going on?
3: And there was Joey Zale with a shotgun. I took it from his huge hands. Sister Sally continued to rear up and come down hard on Charny, whirling and stomping and snorting. Papa, what's
0: going on here? You know how excited Sister Sally gets around fire.
3: Early Saturday morning, I drove to the office. I figured I owed my boss, O.J., a week's time. He was out, but uh, someone else was in. A pretty young girl, blonde, shapely, and very much alive, Pam Clayton. I was about to turn her over my knee, but before I could, she explained why she was there. Willie had told her that my office was the safest place to be. I'd missed her the one time I'd checked in, and she'd been there ever since, and I call myself a good private eye. Well, I didn't spank her. In fact, I ended up lending her six hundred dollars so she could run her horse Mary Jane. Seems the old man cut off her allowance. One feeling I've always had about being a private eye, you just can't make any money in this business.
4: You are listening to Mutual's presentation of the Zero Hour.
0: Leukemia is a disease of the blood-forming organs. It takes the lives of more children than any other disease known to man. It afflicts even more adults than children. At present, there is no cure. However, a great deal of progress has been made in the treatment of leukemia, and many doctors believe that if we can find a cure through research, it could well open the door to the cure for cancer. I'm Shirley Jones, national chairman of a program to raise funds for leukemia research through radio broadcasting. If we can find a cure to this dread disease, we can stop the deaths of 15,000 victims each year and help in the search for the cure to cancer. Today, radio stations across the country are fighting leukemia. Please help. Make your check payable to LSA for Leukemia Society of America and send it to LSA, Hollywood 28, California. That's LSA, Hollywood 28, California.
1: Now, here are the bunkers. Jean
3: stapleton and carol o'connor
0: the house we liked the best wasn't the one we ended up buying it was beautiful on the outside but we found out that there were terrible termites everywhere it would have cost us thousands of dollars to really get the house in shape
1: that's right and we didn't figure on all the increases in property tax maintenance and other expenses but we went to hug got some very good advice.
0: Yeah, we were pretty lucky, weren't we, Archie? Lucky?
1: No, Edith, we wasn't lucky, we were smart. I know some people never got as serious as us about buying a home. They've been having headaches ever since. Buying a home is a big deal. Learn about house hunting, property inspection, FHA-insured loans, and the responsibilities of ownership in a free booklet called The Wise Home Buying Guidebook. Write HUD,
2: Department HB, Washington, D.C., 20402. That concludes this week's production of The Zero Hour. Kim Platt's The Princess Stakes Murder. Next week, we'll begin another exciting dramatization of a tale of mystery and suspense. We'll tell our story in five days at the same time Monday through Friday. So on Monday, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. This is The Zero Hour
4: on Mutual Radio.
3: And once again, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. This is Mutual, your news and
2: sports radio network.